welcome to Hooked by the Rook. Yes, we've hooked them, we've got them. This podcast is a series of fireside chats with some amazing people in our industry. These are thought leaders, innovators, movers and shakers out to make a difference in the realm of digital and cyber resilience. You'll hear some forward-leading thinking, some practical tips and approaches, and some pretty candid conversation, outlining experiences and lessons learned. We've put this series together in the hope of helping you and your company on the digital and cybersecurity journey. Incident response is not an elite sport and every individual and company should be aware of how to respond in the event of an incident and have a plan in place. We unpack this a little further with the founder and CEO of Siegebreak, Grant Haraway, who are experts in incident response, forensics, active defence and cybersecurity services since 2009. Together, we demystify incident response. We cover the incident response process and how the focus is shifting from prevention to enablement in detection and response. We talk about the threat landscape assessment and how it helps to identify who are your threats and what do you really need to address in the event of an incident. We also touch on cyber deception, threat intelligence, and return of investment through planning. So welcome, Grant. Lovely to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your company, Siegebreak? For me, I've been in digital forensics incident response since 2009. Uh, There was one point where I thought about getting out of it, but within six months, I was off traveling. I realized I loved it too much, so I knew I was going to get back into it. So I was originally with uh, big consultancies doing the same, uh, then off with uh, forensic software producers, as their professional services consulting. Some interesting cases, some high-profile, famous people. Those are the interesting ones. Good war stories. But then after that, I've come back and finally started working for uh, the Australian space. So once I had done that for a little while, I realised there needed to be a change in the way things were done. Uh, Take control of that and make sure that things are being done uh, in a far more efficient manner. Mm-hmm. rather than just chasing the dollars. So you're minimising that business impact, risk, uh, but at the same time you're preparing for the next one. So it's not just once we're done, here's the recommendations, call us if you need us again, or making sure that it's massaged out into what they've needed before this. So that's what seems to be working really well so far. It's been one year and a week. Wow, happy birthday. Um, yeah, thank you. It went past, <laughs> I actually missed it. Yeah. Okay. And, and so Siegebreak, um, talk a little bit about that name and, you know, what Siegebreak is all about at the high level. Hmm. I laugh because I was talking with my, I teach Japanese jiu-jitsu, but my original sensei, he's in marketing. We are bouncing ideas off each other and um, we finally came up with, okay, Siege, that suits. Okay, what do we do? What do we do? Break Siege, whether it's break, as in put the brakes on or to break something in half, one or the other. And he goes, yep, go with that, break siege, perfect. All right, I'll think about it for a few days, see how it goes. 
And the next day I went, hang on a second, no, that's not good. That's BS for short. Just <laughs> way too easy ammunition for competitors. Oh, so I'm like, all right, no, we'll just switch it around. Siege break. Perfect. Love it. So you mitigated the threat risk. <laughs> <laughs> Prevented that incident. Prevented that incident. Exactly. And so what does siege break do? I know that you talked about a change of approach, which I love. Yeah, well, a lot of it is part of my own personal frustration with incidents, seeing the same thing happen again and again, or the, what has led to those same incidents happen again. What you've seen a decade ago, what you see now, okay, if they had done this, it would have been better. They wouldn't have to report because they've got enough granular information so they know this data hasn't gone. Okay, we're fine. All right, we can remediate what has happened. We move forward, fill the gaps, etc. The focus with Siege Break is very much we're there for the incident response, the forensics, but we're there to prepare you for that as well. So the focus in cybersecurity, this is the last post- podcast I did, was very much, okay, we've been focusing on prevention for a decade and a half, mm. pen tests, whatnot, important stuff. But where's the enablement on the detection, the response, not just a piece of technology that has that name, but what do we need uh, to get us to that space yeah. in terms of governance, in terms of asset management, credential management, all this part that is really um, important for the start and the low impact of incidents. And I love the fact that you are going from the angle of enablement. You know, we've got this great capability gap in the marketplace and prevention rather than cure as much as possible because there's a regret spend after a breach. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, and you don't want to be the guy that delivers the bad news. Uh, what I actually do at the start of most incidents is a rapid gap assessment to look at what visibility they're lacking, what capabilities they're lacking. It's very much as if a firefighter was called somewhere and sure, they've brought their own tools, but what else do they have there that we can utilise? What kind of fire is it? Do they have the right extinguishers? Do they have ones that will make it worse? It's a kitchen fire, there's oil and they've sprayed water on it with the wrong fire extinguisher. Yep. Um, those kind of assessments look at what technology they do have, they don't have, what visibility is missing so that you've got the uh, upper hand in the environment. You can see what the adversary is doing rather than they have the upper hand. They know more about the security of your environment than you do. Yeah. So that's where we have to lift it back up. Yeah. And then we'll get into cyber deception and stuff later on. So what you're doing then is helping to build that roadmap and starting right from the start. Exactly. It's kind of like a DevOps view of shifting left, but for incident response, how's that? I've never <laughs> that concept. before. I'll have to think about it. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Mm. Okay. So on that roadmap, a uh, client comes in, they want to prepare for a breach or you know, make sure that they've got their incident response. Take me through that journey. Take us through what that looks like. So a lot of it has to encompass the problems they currently have, um, whether I'm speaking with somebody at the IT management level, CISO, uh, finance, or CFO, or C-suite, whatnot. Um, there's going to be a different approach. Every organisation is at a different level. What's the most appropriate for where they are now? What's going to give us the best value, the biggest bang for buck? So for most, at this point in time, is those workshops, because it shows that visibility when we're undertaking those workshops, uh, here's what's lacking. We're, we're practicing it, we're learning at the same time, this is good for us, yep. but we're discovering gaps. That's a major purpose of workshops, not just in our ability to react and think about it properly, but technologically, governance-wise, what are we missing? So once we've had those discussions and work out what is the best way forward uh, for that client, 
it may look like, okay, we're going to start off with a breach readiness assessment to make sure technologically you've got the understanding of what's missing. Some of those quick, easy wins you can start off, make sure you've got some granular logging already in case there is an incident in the next three months while we're doing the governance part. So that's there, that's logging. You're getting a better idea of your credentials, your assets, log management, network visibility, backups, baselines. That's on the technological side. That's something I almost always say, you need to do this alongside the rest of that. Mm -hmm. So you've got that technological side you're enabling with the gap assessments. And then we're looking at on the governance side, okay, do they have an incident response, a cyber incident response management plan? And for most places they don't. Uh, And if they do, they're not exactly usable or suitable for the purpose. Most recent engagement of mine, they had engaged two separate forensic firms without, unbeknownst, they didn't realise. One from the insurance angle? (laughs) No, not even. Oh my God. So, you know, there could be a third, who knows? Mm. Uh, It's interesting when that happens, but that just removes any um, doubt that there's no cohesion in the response. And cohesion is exactly what's needed from the human side. So that incident response management plan, people think it goes into a hell of a lot of technical, logical detail. It doesn't. It's to make sure that the response is cohesive, everybody's working together in the most efficient manner to, for timely remediation, yep. minimal impact. Uh, but then there's the playbooks that go into that ten, more of the technological part. How do we respond in terms of uh, once it's detected, how do we do a full analysis to determine the extent of the compromise, contain that compromise, eradicate, recover, yeah. Yeah. incident response process per incident type. So you'll have a playbook for ransomware, you'll have a playbook for business email compromise, internal and potential insider threats as well. At the same time, once we're looking at that, those are leading into the workshops. These will be used. Many organisations, they've never done them. If they have, they haven't been done well um, or they don't even have a plan. Yeah. It's not fun running a workshop if they don't have a plan to do. You can still do it. It's good learning, but the major finding they'll, they'll have is, oh, we don't have a plan. Okay, we've got to have a plan. Still workshop after we've done that. If they've got playbooks, even better, uh, and live fire rather than just tabletop. When it yeah. starts to get into it, we find some more gaps. The next thing, and these are the, the major ones that tend to be the first steps for most organisations, is the threat landscape assessment. And that's basically intelligence-driven decision-making. Looking at, okay, who are our threats, our most likely threats, if we need to prioritise at that level, uh, and what do they do? Their tactics, their techniques, what tools do they use? Then you, ne- you know what coverage you need mm-hmm. in terms of your controls, your playbooks you need, as you know what kind of incidents you're likely to face. More playbooks are better, but uh, it's, uh, that's a value way of doing cybersecurity. You know what you need rather than... Chasing shadows. Exactly. Yeah. You see something post on LinkedIn, oh, we need that too. Yeah, yeah. When we talk to um, SOC uh, analysts or people that are managing SOC, you know, the one thing we're saying, and it's amping up the volume of alerts having the skill to block out all the noise and actually know what you're looking for. You know, so for Log4J, those mm-hmm. that were successful actually knew what they were looking for. Absolutely. You and I were talking about threat intelligence mm-hmm. and I was tossing in the idea of contextual threat. So having someone that is responsible for security awareness and developing the programs and identifying what themes, mm-hmm. coming in, sitting close to the security operations team and understanding what are the threats, what's the context, so they can do a translation into the security awareness training program. Tell us a little bit more about the threat intelligence service that Siegebreak offers. So that is that threat landscape assessment. 
that looks at, and that can be in uh, different uh, periods, annually, biannually. Uh, ideally, they're doing that far more often. Uh, but that is where we're looking at, okay, wh who are your threats? What are they doing? So you know uh, the coverage you need, the coverage you're lacking. Uh, when you're looking at solutions, what coverage it needs to have. Mm. And these are all against frameworks uh, to make sure it's not just uh, somebody taking notes on what's working, what's not. But we're mapping that to, for example, MITRE ATT&CK framework. Okay, what can it do? What can't it do? What is something they're saying it's shortly about to do? And then you're testing that as well. Mm. Okay, yes, this does cover us against the threats that we're likely to face, those groups, activists, whatnot. Uh, so we're happy to in implement these controls. We're testing them. Yes, we've got some certainty. Now we can work around. That's 90% of the work done. The next 10%, that's, that's hard work as well. But as the threats change, you adapt to that. Yeah. You add in further detections, further uh, visibility that might be required. Okay, now they're starting to uh, downgrade to PowerShell version 2. Yep. And that prevents script, automatic script blocking and logging. Uh, how do we start to see that? Okay, we can see that they've downgraded PowerShell version 2. We've prevented them from being able to use it, but they've gained administrator access somewhere, administrator level access, I should say, and they've downgraded to PowerShell version 2 or reinstalled it. Now we don't have visibility of what they're doing. So we need to have visibility of... PowerShell version 2 being used, yeah. what it's being used, and if that's seen, respond quickly to it. Uh, but that would come down to, one, preventatively, you're making sure that's not available. Two, if we do see it, where well, our threats are uh, currently using that mechanism, we're monitoring that heavily. It takes away that, the bit that was, it's, I think 10 years back, it's very difficult. You know, okay, everything's an attack. Could this be something? Could this be something? Uh, and back then, a lot of it was, oh, no, it's just a pen test the client hasn't told us about because they want to make sure that we're monitoring appropriately or this is potentially some kind of security issue. Mm. Back in another badge, the threat intelligence service that we were across was a consulting-led research out in the marketplace, mm -hmm. um, which is not just tossing up indicators of compromise, technical indicators of compromise. It was actually looking at some pretty interesting user behaviour and yeah. other things, which I'm sure you can embellish on, uh, and then bringing that into a platform so that you could orchestrate a campaign for a client to look at a specific theme, yes. look at a whole of company or look at whole of industry. How does Siege Break play against that sort of service? Well, that's where, if there's been a threat landscape assessment that's been performed, that would really interface well into the workshops. Uh, workshops aren't stock standard. Okay, here's the four scenarios we always run. They've got to be appropriate against their most likely incidents they're going to face. Mm. So that psychologically they're prepared when it comes to their technology, it's prepared. And the solutions they're bringing on board are appropriate. The, the gaps that they find in those workshops, they go, okay, we've done this well. What else do we need to do? Yeah. What's the next step? So it goes back to what you were saying just before having someone there looking at, okay, here's what the SOC's seeing. Mm. Uh, and this is in a different part, obviously, but from your example, somebody's reviewing what the SOC's seeing and translate, translating that into not only what do we need for better prevention, detection, response, but how can we put that into the security awareness training? And that's, that's one of the most important things when it comes to incident response uh, management plans. When they are responding, uh, sometimes they don't even know there is one, they can't find it. It's online only. There's all different reasons. But if there is a plan, uh, one of the major failings is recognising an incident. 
it isn't alerted to the security team because mm. human detection is still, a, for most organisations, the most common alerting mechanism unless it's the adversary letting you know here's some ransomware. Yes. But for those that aren't disclosed by the threat actor, human detection is still the most common manner that they're alerted to. Uh, so if we're not doing that, recognising an incident, teaching the organisation through the security awareness training, they lay there for longer. Uh, three months later, they discover and go, oh, yeah, that's something that um, somebody mentioned. We, we thought it was nothing. Exactly. They didn't alert to it. So it's extremely important. It is extremely important. The other thing I really like about uh, your offerings is the fact that you do do incident response training. And I know you touched on that a little bit up the front. Can you talk us through what that training looks like? Yeah, I'm enjoying building that up, actually. I saw, I saw a, um, a great blog post uh, yesterday uh, that was the... 12 or 13 deadly sins of APT incident response. I'm going to load it up so I can get that right, actually. <laughs> deadly sins. Yeah, 13. 13 deadly sins of APT incident response. And it has, I'm going to scroll down a long way, it's a long blog post. It has the incident response hierarchy of needs and somebody's just visualised that so well. That's really usable for oh that gosh. incident response training. So I know that we don't have visuals on this podcast no. for, for reasons... You know, that I'm very shy. <laughs> um, you don't seem it. I'm going to say that every time. Not at all. I think I'm an extroverted introvert, but anyway, we won't, we won't go there. What we're looking at is a triangle. Give us a little visual snapshot of what you're showing here because it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's quite good. It, it, the lower part of this pyramid covers uh, exactly what uh, the breach readiness assessment is getting to in the beginning, showing here's your gaps, uh, the risks prioritised so that uh, upper management can can assess those risks and say, okay, this is, we can't accept that we've got no visibility, we could be attacked, not no data stolen, whatnot. But this is for incident response training that can be at uh, you know, a technical level, the uh, security team, the IT team, incident response teams, but also for the management level as well. So mm -hmm. they get an understanding what's important, what's not. So I'm going to talk about this pyramid, uh, incident response hierarchy of need, and it starts off at the bottom, inventory. Uh, can you name the assets you are defending as we move further up? Telemetry. Do you have visibility across your assets? Detection. Don't worry, there's not that many. I'll go through them all. Though. No, no, this is good. I'm good, get, good. getting an education. Detection. Can you detect unauthorized activity? Triage. Can you accurately classify detection results? Again, that comes into the incident response plan, classification and prioritization. Mm. Having the appropriate people for that response. Uh, threats. Who are your adversaries? What are their capabilities? So now we're getting into that intelligence area, behaviours. Can you detect adversary activity within your environment? So not just unauthorised activity, but adversary activity. A hunt. Can you detect an adversary that is already embedded? Track during an intrusion. Can you observe adversary activity in real time? And for most organisations... Uh, that's that's definitely not the case. Yeah. Act. Can you deploy proven countermeasures to evict and recover? And the top one, which doesn't have a name, can you collaborate with trusted partners to disrupt adversary campaigns? So minimal business impact, best possible outcome is what we want, and that hinges on a lot of preparation. Mm. Yeah. But reality is there are organisations that are getting breached that haven't had that preparation time yeah. for, for reasons of... This is something that really excites me that Siegebreak can actually, you have that red button, the client can press that red button and you come in 
Can you give us a little bit more around what's involved? Because that's a differentiator. Oh, okay, absolutely. So given that that's the majority of my experience, um, first, just on the technological side, doing that response, but then uh, becoming a better communicator over the years, dealing with a lot of upper management, that's where I've seen a lot of other uh, incident response go badly, as that it's you have some fantastic, very uh, competent, extremely competent people on the technical side, but there isn't that communication aspect that goes back into the crisis management that the business is feeling. They're feeling the pain. They've got to feel the communication from the doctor rather than just knowing they're trying to cut the cancer out. What are they actually doing? So initially, if there is that emergency call, like yesterday, uh, there is that contextual gathering. Because uh, I know nothing. I don't know their environment unless they've got a retainer where things are set up, we're prepared, an interface, we can get things going within minutes. And we will talk about the retainer because sure. I think that's important to understand what that actually is. Sure. That is good. So there is that contextual gathering. What has happened? Uh, what do we know? A rapid gap assessment that looks at what visibility you have, you don't have, what capabilities you have, what you don't have. Uh, and some of those capabilities might be non-security solutions, but we use those to, in different ways to help us it through the environment so we can deploy capabilities uh, if they can't do that especially in ot environments what can we put in place surrounding that to give us the visibility and capability mm. from that point on so done the contextual gathering rapid gap assessment but we need to put together an action plan at a high level so that they understand here's how the response works mm. um, yeah they may have an incident response plan we'll work with that if they do if it's appropriate again that would be looking looked at in the gap assessment this isn't going to suit what you're facing now. Yep. We're not going to use that at the moment. We'll follow the plan that I have. Uh, we'll be interfacing at these times. And here's what I need you guys to do straight off. Okay. And these are the potential hypotheticals of what may have occurred. There may be others that aren't faced. Threats are always changing, evolving. So we need to make sure that we put the visibility in, understand what's going on, as well as making sure there's capability to react if they're starting to do something that we absolutely don't want them to do. Yeah. This may be not the right moment, but I'll, I'll jump in. We talked about uh, SOC teams that may have a level one, level two incident response mm -hmm. and how important that is to, as, you, as we said, have a preparation phase where an incident responder like yourself, like Siege Break, mm -hmm. how you actually handshake so that you, they don't muddy your waters. No. Actually, I'm going to branch off quickly. Mm. Uh, one of the guys I used to work with as a senior when I started off, very good, fantastic guy. Ran into him about three years ago at a conference. It was great to see him, but uh, we're thinking back to when we worked at IBM. And he's like, look, it, it seemed terrible at the time, but now that I think back, it was set up really well. They had us, the instrument response, the digital forensics, the pen testing team, but we had the SOC, SOC support, we had... Uh, threat intelligence, we had vulnerability assessments, had good management over the top. Yeah, it was enabled in the, the right manner and there are delineations on, okay, this has happened, it's now handed over. SOC believes they've seen something. Okay, what is it that we're seeing? Imagine this is during an incident, an actual incident. Okay, yes, we can verify that is. Well, thank you, we'll continue on there. But there's the education piece back to the SOC. This is valid, thank you. Uh, this isn't due to this reason. So we're not going to get the same alerts again. Wasting their time as they're looking for it. But uh, during incidents, for the most part, 
SOC teams, they want to be across that. They want to understand uh, the incident. So it's the same thing when it comes to the action plan. Whether you're working with an IT team with two people, uh, an organization that is does have its own SOC or is using a SOC, they understand this is what I need from you. This is the visibility we're putting in play, so you need to make sure that this is being looked at. Here are these capabilities we're putting in for containment. If we can, please utilize them if you see this activity. Mm -hmm. I imagine ransomware starts and it's 3 a.m. I'm asleep. One of my guys is asleep, whatever. They'll understand, okay, this is ransom activity, we respond right now. It's not very difficult at all when it comes down to it. Mm -hmm. Just that communication piece. Make sure everybody understands what uh, is happening and the best way to move forward. Are you happy to go through what Siegebreak's retainer service looks like and why a retainer service, why, why a client's going there? Okay, so the retainer service, one of the things that uh, I wanted to make sure that was being done, as I mentioned before, mm-hmm. the incident responder, you get sick of seeing the same incident, so we're going to have that proactive approach, but how do we make this work for businesses? So the retainer is designed so you lock out a certain amount of your budget, you have that coverage, you have that coverage for the year, depending on what package it is, the response times, whatnot, the hours included. But uh, if you don't have an incident, or even halfway through that, you decide to use your hours against uh, some of the proactive services for continual enablement, that's there. Rather than, okay, now you've got to pay extra for the incident response management plan. Yeah. We've just spent X amount of dollars, haven't had an incident, management looks at that, going, what, what value is this? Yeah, there's no ROI. Sure. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's packaged in that manner, so it's easy for... Security managers, CISOs, whatnot, say above. Okay, we lock out this much, got coverage, we don't need to worry, and we're going to be doing some of these things, whatever's most appropriate. We need an incident response plan, playbooks, we need a threat landscape assessment, we need some solutions evaluated, uh, cyber deception. All comes down to what's appropriate at that time. So that seems to be making a big difference. It's working well. In terms of uh, the insurance and alignment of a retainer to an insurance, cyber insurance policy, how's that looking in your world? So for those that have cyber insurance, and that's one of the things that's uh, reviewed during the breach readiness as well, Mm. um, is your cyber insurance to give the coverage you need, do you meet the requirements, uh, the annual reviews, is it worth it at at this point in time given that the premiums have skyrocketed due to the last two years worth of ransomware where they've not made any money off a lot of those uh, premiums. What organisations can do is if they have a retainer service with Siegebreak, they add Siegebreak as a named provider so that we can provide that response when it comes down to it. Mm. It's, uh, it's not something that uh, becomes difficult. I have had uh, ones where they've had cyber insurance they haven't realised Again, the communication's not there. It's not in the incident response plan. Uh, I've been engaged. And uh, actually, it's what I'm thinking of now is the second incident they faced, they realised they had cyber insurance. So we go, OK, we need to have be added as a name provider to continue. But that's really important. Again, we're talking preparation. You know, all through this conversation, we've said prepare, you know, prevention's better than cure. On the insurance linkage, what you've just touched on is making sure that the client does link you in as a, a named provider yeah. because there's a continuity of service and so they're not spending insurance dollars resetting the landscape doing a gap assessment all those things that a good responder would do if for some reason they bring in someone else absolutely and one thing i, I, I may not have mentioned before that 
initial gap assessment, that's a rapid gap assessment because we don't have the time to go into days worth of detail. We're just getting a quick idea of what you have, what you don't have. But then it's, we're looking at an hour, an hour and a half. Yeah. Um, once it comes to the actual services, those take days, naturally. So this is a nice segue into um, this next little topic around what are you seeing out there today, Grant? What's top of mind? What should executives and senior management be aware of? Just some key themes? Things haven't changed that much. It's more the awareness of what's happening that's uh, become heightened. So two years ago, ransomware is the big word. Uh, but ransomware's been happening for a long time. Mm. I think we're almost at the anniversary when ransomware started, 2012, 2013, somewhere there. But uh, yeah, I say that because we, I tend to see the same things. Um, when looking at uh, data breach reports by uh, other organisations that release them for their exposed visibility, it is very much the same. We see the changes in clients, their controls, their ability to respond as that increases the threat actors have to change their tactics. Yes. Because the threat actor is always going to do the bare minimum. They're not going to invest a hell of a lot of time creating up a new piece of malware against an organisation that has uh, no visibility, no capability. They're never going to know they were there. Mm. So uh, as we uplift, as clients begin to get better, as the response begins to get better, that causes uh, threat actors to have to adapt. Unfortunately, we're slow on the uptake to get that going. It's mentioned before, it's all uh, prevention, prevention, prevention. The things will change more in the next few years, five, ten, definitely. But uh, in terms of incidents, I see, I still see business email compromise. Mm. Um, they were a bit heavier three, two, three years ago, a bit more common, but the security awareness is making a difference. Mm. People are aware, okay, this is what I need to look for. Uh, the news um, and recency of, the, of these kind of incidents, how ransomware happened, it's because somebody fell for this fraudulent email. It's like, oh, I don't want this to happen to me, what happened? I need to look at these elements to make sure they're genuine. Uh, that makes a difference. But the, and that will lower the amount of business email compromises that are seen. Uh, ransomware is still happening, uh, corporate espionage, data exfiltration, absolutely. Mm. Um, heaviest ones for me, you mentioned it already, Log4j. Since December, that's been busy, mm. uh, which is something, a vulnerability that's that widespread as in the technologies that utilize it and therefore our uh, vulnerable clients may be, mm-hmm. organizations may be, you actually encounter incidents where there's more than one actor in the environment. There's definitely more than one attacking. Then when it comes to, okay, what has happened? What can I see happening? Uh, you can't assume that it's the same threat actor. That's interesting. Incidents in the past where there's Mm. definitely more than one. Doesn't mean they're at the same time period. But as things are evolving and we've got these exploits that are very easy to to exploit, to get a result, you you do see these things and it's it's a different way. It's more exciting for me. Mm. Okay, there's more than one threat actor here. And then you start to imagine, okay, are they going to uh, battle for this, this ground? And the wise threat actors would say, okay, Let's exploit and we'll patch the vulnerability so nobody else can get in. That also, uh, from the client's perspective, they review and go, no, this is patched, we're fine. We don't need to uh, do any kind of uh, review. We were fine. We, it couldn't have been exploited because it's, I don't know how it got patched, but it got patched. All right, we're fine. That's a, a wise adversary right there. So not only is the attack service increasing 
We're getting clusters or cartels of threat actors coming in and using corporate environments as their battlegrounds. Yeah, I can't say I've actually seen battle going on, but it's what <laughs> I imagine uh, could be there. Yeah, okay, yeah. who's going to steal and sell the data totally. first? Who's going to encrypt the environment totally. first? Um, that particular incident uh, deployed an uh, MDM. Yeah, we'll say that had an external server that was being utilised, and the organisation themselves were like, "Yep, we use use a, one of their products." Mm -hmm. Wasn't the same one, and so they thought it was genuine for a number of days. And they're telling me, "Yeah, that's that's ours." But the, the data you're seeing says otherwise. Um, one of the things I've definitely got to mention here, in terms of one of the ways that we're alerted these days, there's human detection, but then they've got, you've got the ACSC that do a fantastic job when they alert. Unfortunately, there's times where the people that receive the alerts in the organisation aren't enabled, or they're worried, or they feel guilty, and if they raise it, in trouble, whatnot. As soon as they get an alert, they've got to respond to that quickly. Mm. Actually, this is a really important topic. What has to happen? What are the things that executives and management need to consider? Okay. In the beginning, it's very much, what is the potential? What's the risk at that point in time? Mm -hmm. If they, for instance, have had uh, their emails breached, they can't just assume it's emails only. There's definitely going to be data in there that uh, may provide access to the rest of the environment. Enterprise. I just go, okay, we'll remediate that account. Let's move on. Uh, adversaries will, especially if they're financially motivated, uh, they will most anything that's uh, easy to do that isn't going to take them a hell of a lot of time. So if they're going to steal data or provide access to that data, that's more money for them. Steal it, sell it on. Credentials that have been harvested, sell that on. Um, so it's easy for the extent of the compromise to be greater than most will realise. I can understand most go, nope. It's just that we don't want it to be bigger. Let's not look at it. It's just that we'll just hope for it. And it's like that. She'll be right. She'll be right. Uh, but one of the main problems, and hence breach readiness, threat landscape assessment, is very much uh, what is the extent of the compromise? If we don't have an idea of a great picture of all of our assets, all of the accounts that we have, we can't uh, analyze the environment to work out what has been touched, what has been compromised, what data has been viewed or exfiltrated. So to enable that, get that idea, that picture, asset management, credential management. Once an incident has happened, we're making sure we're reviewing the entire environment to make sure we know what has been compromised. Mm. And when does a breach have to be reported? Depends on the regulator. Right. But uh, this is something that should be within the cyber incident response plan as well. So it's there, it's easy to know, easy to update when things do change. When it comes to... Uh, the OIIC, it's it's 30 days right. from the date of detection. Yeah. Right, but the earlier you approach, the better. They're not militant. And that's a, that, that's a key thing. You know, we, we talk about normalising cybersecurity so that it's not looking like it's a, an elite sport. That's and, a good way to put it. Yeah. yeah. And it's the same with an incident. Normalising that to actually uh, report a breach, it's a healthy thing because it feeds the ecosystem and helps others Absolutely. be prepared and, you know... Yeah. ASCs can do their thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's very much that uh, the more information you provide, the more transparent you're being. Yep. You're going to be trusted. Absolutely. So, it, unfortunately, things still get swept under the rug. And there's things I don't know about as well. I can't go digging into their emails to find things out and I don't want to know. It's, uh, unfortunately, we're still at a point where that security awareness needs to highlight that. Yeah, report. 
support is for the best. You'll get further recommendations, potentially further assistance. And then that touches in the whole supply chain yeah. topic. You know, if you yeah. are breached or one of your supply chain members are breached, you want to know about it. So it's kind of a duty of care to all companies. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm going to come back to what the previous question where you say oh, the top line, what should they be doing? Uh, one, consider the extent of the compromise to make sure that you are reviewing everything that you hold, including access from external parties and access you have to third parties. Yes. So we're looking at risk holistically. Yes. Now, we don't want to have to come back to this incident in two months, especially if it's been in the media. Remember toll two or three years back, happened twice. You know, victim shaming is decreasing. That's fantastic. But the expectation that you manage incidents well is increasing. Public view, uh, partner, clients, whatnot, uh, suppliers, etc. So it doesn't mean you can get complacent just because the victim shaming is lowering. You get hit again, that's, that's, a, oh. that's really going to knock you down. Yeah. yeah. And any CIO that's been through that, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they're quite uh, hypersensitive about it and you know, rightly so. Absolutely. But uh, there is one more. And we have been sort of... Um, going around the perimeter of it mm. uh, when it comes to the preparatory phase, uh, preparatory elements of incident response. And there's all those ones that I've mentioned before, but then when it comes to cyber deception, putting things within the environment to help enable detection. Yes. Um, I'm sure most people have heard of honeypots, but uh, when it comes to cyber deception, it can become far more in-depth. It doesn't have to be complex. It can be quite simple. But the one of the things that's desirable as an incident responder is being able to watch the adversary once we've got the visibility and capability in place and say, all right, we know what the crown jewels are, we know what's critical, we know what impact uh, we have to avoid. Mm. We've tested containment, uh, potential containment uh, mechanisms to make sure it works. Let's watch and see what they do because the best threat intelligence you can get is from an actual attack, what you're facing. So if we have that ability, we can sit and watch and learn from them. That helps us on the proactive side. Mm. What better prevention, detection, response. Here's what threat actors do. We can share that if we choose. So the other organisations, Australia as a whole, is better prepared. It makes all the difference. But business leaders, naturally, they don't want them. You've seen them, get them out, get them out, get them out, get them out. Because you don't have that option. As desirable as it is, an incident responder, and you've been uh, doing presentations leading up to that uh, clients you've had for a while uh, when it comes to comes to it there's too much pressure they've got time pressures no i don't have time to deal with this yes i know you'd like to learn it's good for us sure but no kick them out and the decisions are theirs to make of course it's just my recommendations so when it comes to the cyber deception side it's not just for the detection if we're able to set up similar environments and redirect threat actors entice them into these mirrored copies mm. of an environment that we can actually sit and watch what they do that's extremely valuable and it doesn't have that risk of that business impact is that something that uh, you're seeing as a bit of a trend i've heard about it but i've never seen it for Mm. the organizations i've worked with yeah um big and small but uh, it is it is what we will be approaching as time continues and communicating that is like it really highlights this is what you want this is what will help give you that return on investment in terms of knowing what you need Uh, This isn't difficult to do. Spend the time, build that up, um, and it really helps when it comes to an actual incident because you've now deflected them into something, uh, not just for the threat intelligence, 
but now you're not you're not facing that risk to the mm. same degree uh, another five years after that we'll have threat actors going all right one of you pretend you're stuck in that environment <laughs> let the soccer incident response pretend or think that they've got us i mean while i go and go and do the actual job yeah yeah it's always they'll up the game and we've got to do the same yeah but this is where well-enabled organizations will be heading so once they've got the rest enabled absolutely, absolutely. there's higher risks first but yeah. this does get them to 80 percent in regards to cyber deception side yeah and i think i mean probably that was kind of where we were going in our last conversation what's mm. what's the future look like and setting up a false environment um to mirror the corporate environment or a portion thereof as a honeypot yes do you want to Describe what honeypot is. Whatever you can imagine is desirable to uh, threat actors. Right. It could be as simple as a, a document that's holding credentials mm-hmm. or seller information. It could be a device that's sat there, it's not used, and as soon as it's scanned, it alerts so that they're aware, okay, somebody's scanning us internally. Somebody's got access, gained that initial access, and now they're scanning internally. This box is, never gets touched. The fact that it is, all right early detection now we ensure that we've got those redirections in place those enticements here is a, a file server yep. that uh, has some low-hanging fruit vulnerabilities they're going to go for once they're there they'll have further documentation potentially some credentials cached there that they'll go okay let's dump those cool local administrator password reuse and it's only those four or five machines that have the same local admin and they're going to spend their time looking through those uh, it takes time to build them up, but uh, dummy documentation is not as difficult as yeah. a lot of uh, the other deciphering we have to do within cybersecurity. And it can be fun for people making that up. So cyber deception, um, maybe I'm late to the party here. I don't hear that bandied around a lot. I mean, I'm, I'm aware of it. We do yep. it obviously with social engineering engagements and things yep. like that where um, we put ruses into the mix. Yeah, that's that's from the, um, the prevention side, very much uh, social engineering pen test can we breach the environment? This is the social engineering the other way around. We've been breached. How can we trick you into not taking our crown jewels, into showing us what you do? Yes. In these areas, you want to have granular logging uh, so that we can see everything that's going on. Mm. Uh, backup so we can review uh, oh, what, what happened to data. <laughs> yeah. Don't talk about the war, Grant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Grant. We certainly covered a lot of landscape in the topic of incident response. I've learned a little bit more about cyber deception and this concept of battling in the corporate environment that's hope that doesn't take traction, plus the importance of planning and enablement in detection and response. Now, in the next episode, we meet a specialist in offensive security. By day, he works with companies to understand their technical vulnerabilities and how to remediate And by night, he teaches the latest in ethical hacking methodologies to students and company staff who want to learn and hone their skills in this very important area. So until then, stay safe, and I hope you've been hooked by the Rook.